you shouldn't be confined or you shouldn't be subject to the limitations that other people place on you. Hey everybody, welcome back to Tales from the Journey. I am Stephanie Zamora and today we are here with Genesis Amaris Kemp and she has an incredible story of overcoming bullying, systemic racism and oppression in corporate America. And Genesis, I'm so excited to have you here with us today. Hey Stephanie, hey everyone. Thank you so much for allowing me to be on your platform and share these wonderful wisdom nuggets with you and your tribe. Yeah, I would love to start with you just sharing a little bit more about yourself and what it is that you do. Okay, awesome. So a little bit of fun facts about me. I'm 29 years old. I live in Houston, Texas. I am married. No kids yet. No fur babies, although I really do want a cute little dog. I've <laughs> been married for two years now, but been with my husband for five years, which it's been great. So I always tell people I test drove the car for three years before actually that. buying. <laughs> my background is oil and gas. So I have 11 and a half years in oil and gas and, and the energy sector been with this particular company for seven years and that's where i experienced a lot of the systemic racism the bullying and etc that i went through and it was actually the breaking point as well as the turning point because had i never went through those trials and tribulations it would have never given me you know anything to write about or the courage to speak up not only for myself but other people who have been slighted in the workforce due to, you know, systemic racism or ageism or sexism or yeah. whatever the case may be. So it, it sucks when you're going through something and you wonder why, okay, why am I going through this? But then once you pass a test, things start to make sense on why you had to go through that pivotal point in your life. Another thing... Yeah. Oh, I'm also the youngest out of five, so we're a blended family, and I always tell people I'm the glue that keeps everything together because <laughs> I'm also the baby. Yeah, awesome. I love that. I I have had a brief stint in corporate America, and there's so much about it that is just not fun, <laughs> not fun to navigate, and just the systems that are inherent to a lot of corporations and a lot of companies. And so take us back to when you first got started in corporate America and what that experience was like. Okay. So my first corporate job was actually real estate. So in high school, I was a personal assistant, didn't really think of real estate as anything. Although if I could go back in time, one thing I would do is get my real estate license when it was offered because I could have been making some really good cash right now. <laughs> um, then when I left real estate, I went to the cancer center, which was like really fun because although I was seeing people who were battling life struggles and stuff, some of them had really inspiring perspectives of life. Although they were dealing with something that where they don't know if tomorrow will be their last day or they don't know if the treatment will work. Like they came in there with a positive attitude. Like you could see them not taking life for granted. Whereas people who are healthy and strong complain about everything, but people who are sick, depending what they're dealing with, like they don't, they don't see life like that because tomorrow's not promised and they live every day like it was their last. So that helped really helped me. 
Um, so I did that job for, I think, anywhere from four to six months until it got obsolete because a brand new, like, hospital had opened up in my area. So I was like, oh, no. But the good thing is, like, one of my patients I became really good friends with, and we're still friends till this day. She's, like, an older lady in her 50s. Like, she's a breast cancer survivor. Like, she is just, like, incredible. So I was like, oh, okay. It was a reason why I had to go there. And then after that, that's when I got the road in (laughs) to oil and gas. Mm -hmm. And I started with a smaller company, stayed there for four and a half years after I, you know, navigated my way throughout the company and worked my way up to the interim HSC manager position, which was cool. But then once you get high up in a company, like you could either be complacent and stay there because you feel, oh, okay, I'm as high as as high as I can go, or you could take that leap of faith and go swim with the sharks in the in the ocean. So that's what I did. <laughs> when I took that leap of faith, I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to work for this big company. Everyone knows the name. They're branded. Like, it's great. And then whenever you get there, it's like, okay, this is not what I signed up for because I already had experience and it felt like I was starting all the way over. And when I say Mm -hmm. starting over, they brought me in as an administrative assistant, although I had like technical experience and et cetera. And little did I know, like what they sold me to bring me in the door was literally a pipe dream. Because once I got there, I kept hearing, oh, once an admin, always an admin. I'm like, where, Mm -hmm. who, what, when, why? And I'm like, no, I don't, I didn't go to school or I'm not going to school to be an admin. I don't have a degree in administrative assistant. Not knocking the admins. That's great if you have a passion for it. But if you don't have a passion for it, you shouldn't be confined or you shouldn't be subject to the limitations that other people place on you. So I really had to find myself while I was at this particular season and with this company, I started networking within the company as well as externally too, because I was going to make it out of that admin bucket. And it took me four and a half years, but I finally made it out. And it, and it was because I made friends with the lady and she gravitated to me and she ended up retiring and she threw my name in the hat for the position because she knew that hey, she has a supply chain degree. She's been with the company X amount of time. She also has previous oil and gas experience. And so it was great, but she never told me when she put my name in the hat that her boss, who was a woman, was going to be a witch from hell. And I mean, like, if that lady did not, like, go on the leave of absence, I probably would have quit because it was just awful. It was just such a toxic environment and you would think that women like when we see another woman in a career field that's not populated by women we're winning together like we should be able to complement one another not be in competition with each other and I felt like no matter what I did or what I said it was like her horns were always up and she had like her her daggers and her darts ready to throw at me but I had to snap one day professionally and let her know hey you will not talk to me this way and it was in that moment that she started to turn a little bit and realize that she wasn't going to treat me like she did the last woman I don't care what race you are you don't treat someone any kind of way just because they look different yeah yeah I have two questions here. One, I would love to hear about 
where your well just to start yeah we'll start there where do you feel like that persistence came from like not not everyone has that dedication to what it is that they say they want like you wanted to move out of the admin pool and it can be very easy to get discouraged especially in an environment that doesn't allow and encourage and support that was persistence something that you always had or is it something that you had to kind of conjure up for yourself something i always had because i watched my mom who's not american she's my mom's Caribbean, but she's very, like, passive in a sense, and she's very, like, you know, non-confrontational, and I felt like watching her grow up, there was a lot of times where I felt like people took advantage of my mom because she didn't really speak up for herself, or my dad always spoke up for her, and I was like, I don't want to be that woman. Like, I love my mom to death, but I want to hold my own, and I want people to respect me and not just say, oh, she's nice, she's easygoing, and think that they can walk all over me like a floor mat. No. So I felt like just the product of my environment and seeing like my mom the way she was and then seeing like other strong women on TV who were like boss babes or like people say the boss bee. And I'm like, (laughs) I want that to be me. Like, So I felt like that helped me, you know, take ownership and fill out my identity. Yeah. And what was it like? I I love that you said you finally stood up for yourself to this boss, but you did it professionally. And there's such a balance there to draw a line and say, absolutely not. I won't tolerate this anymore. And what was it like also from the perspective of there's so many people that need to do that or they need to advocate for themselves and their wants and their needs, but there's a risk, right? There's a risk that if you say the wrong thing, or even if you say anything that you could get fired, you could get let go. And what was your own internal process around kind of balancing the risk of that with taking a stand for yourself? So I literally weighed the pros and the cons because I was like, okay, not only was my commute long for that role, I was driving easily an hour and a half to two hours, one way to work. During that time, I got engaged. So like literally my husband, my now husband planned our entire wedding by by himself. So I was like, oh my gosh, he may not want to marry me because I'm doing my womanly duties. Like he booked the venue, like he's calling the people, he's looking at color schemes with his mom and all that. So I took that into consideration. Another thing I took into consideration, I'm like, I could either speak up and get some mental release and some clarity, or I could remain quiet, continuing to be bullied, hate going to work every day and literally roll my eyes when I pull up into the chemical plant. Or I could just take a stand, not only for me, but think about those who are coming besides and behind me and pave the way for future generations to come. Because who knows how long this lady's going to be here. And if she keeps like repeating her behavior and no one is checking her, like how is she going to be aware? Like, does she really want to be that office bee or witch or Or is it going to take someone who's going to be bold and courageous and unapologetically them to let her know you shouldn't talk to people any kind of way. Like, I don't care how you grew up or I don't care if you're having a bad day. Check your emotions at the door because at the end of the day, we're a team and we should be able to win together. So I did value a lot of things. And then the worst part, like the con of, hey, if I lost my job, that's not the only company. There's other companies out there. And 
it could be a relief or it could be like, oh, okay, I really screwed that up, but you would never know unless you take action. Yeah, absolutely. That's so true. It's so scary, but it's so important to know what your values are and what's most important to you. Was was she the only one bullying you? Were there others? So she was she was one of the main ones. And then I felt like some of the people in the chemical plant were were bullying in a sense. And I would say like in a form of microaggression because I was the only African-American person on my team. I was also the youngest person. And it felt like when you work in like a chemical plant in oil and gas, there's a lot of good old boys. So the blue collar workers who some of them don't necessarily have a college degree, but they worked their way up or they knew someone at the company or whether, or they came in due to one of their family members. And whenever you're trying to come in and you're trying to make change, but they don't understand that, that the change is not really from you, but it's from management because you have your key performance indicators. So KPIs and metrics to meet, then they feel like, who's this young girl coming in here trying to, you know, change things and like shake us up. And I felt like there was incidents where I was butting heads with like one of the ladies out in the field. And like, she would just go behind my back. She would change things in the system. She wouldn't update me. And then it was hitting my metrics. So then I had to explain, okay, why is this product coming in earlier? Why are we turning trucks around at the door? Because whenever you turn chemical trucks around, you have to pay for them to still come out to the plant because that's their time. We're taking them away from another load and et cetera. And then like, if you have too many components that come in before you hit your safety stock, then you're carrying more inventory that's needed, which you're having to pay for storage space and et cetera. And then some um, materials have a shelf life. So I was like, oh my gosh, I have to keep talking through. And one day I just got so fed up. I was like, you know what? If she wants to order this this BS, then, you know, just take it off my damn board and let her manage it because (laughs) I'm so sick of talking about it during metrics. And finally, um, that supervisor that was bullying me, I like to tell people, I finally prayed her away. It was like the good Lord above answered my prayers because she left. Um, Yes. (laughs) And a man came in and he was like, we broke down all the barriers and he got to learn me for me and I got to learn him because he said, man, you know what she made you seem? And I was like, she didn't even give me a chance. Like she just had a wall up. Yeah. What was that process like for the two of you to get to know each other in a different way? It was refreshing, I would say, because it was like, oh, finally, someone that's not trying to go with the mold, like a person with new eyes and new perspectives. And he was also like a younger person, a younger person, I think. Maybe he was a little younger than her, but he also had worked somewhere else outside of the company. So that gives people perspective too. When you come in from another organization, you know, it's like, oh, it's not an end all be all like you're versatile. Yeah. 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 Something that we talk a lot about on this show and in my work journey mapping is having the support of mentors, either external mentors or internal mentors, which internal can be our own connection to source or God or spirit, or just utilizing different wiser parts of ourselves. Was there anyone or any mentors that you utilize to navigate all of this? Yes, there was a really nice um, African-American manager. He was like very, he was 
well, he was older than me, but he was still young in a sense. And he had like came by one day down the hallway. He's like, hey, I just wanted to introduce you. And he told me what his name was. And then he gave me some pointers because um, when it was really bad with her, I would close my door and I had like a blue sticky note on it that says, knock if you need me, I'm inside here. <laughs> and he like <laughs> knocked and he said, hey give you a friendly word of encouragement. It's not a good perception for you to have your door closed with a sticky note on it because <laughs> it kind of makes you seem standoffish. And so that was kind of like breaking me down in a sense. And I was like, yeah, I had it up there because like such and such, like her and I aren't seeing eye to eye and better I have my peace. I could work with my lights off, have natural light in. I had my young living oils. I would rub on peppermint or lavender <laughs> I was like, oh, let me get in my zone. And um, from there, he just started coaching me and giving me tips and tricks. And that really helped because he didn't know me from Adam or Eve. But the fact that he spoke up and told me that it showed that he cared. And I felt like there was transparency there and he did it authentically. So I felt like I was able to trust him and go to him with different yeah. um, things that were going on. And then outside of work, I had some mentors and friends of mine. Like one was my old boss who um, was my boss at my previous oil and gas company. And I would call her for different things because I knew she's, she has been in the corporate sector for a long time. And she really helped me. She's like, oh, I don't think you should say that. Or if I thought about sending an email, ooh, that kind of sounds harsh or direct. <laughs> so it was like really good to have like a male as well as a female perspective. Yeah. And then I, yeah. my faith in God, like God has ooh, definitely had to um, hold me tight on a tight rope. And <laughs> sometimes I feel like he was my lifeline. Yeah. Would you mind sharing a little bit more about that? I love talking to people and hearing about like the different relationship to God or spirit or source or that higher power, whatever we want to call it, and how it really helped you to find peace, but also to navigate the situation. So I knew like um, growing up, my parents were very spiritual, especially being from a non-American background. Like it was like, you go to, you go to school, you come home, you say your praises, like you pray, all of that good old stuff. I think my dad's family, they grew up Catholic from South America area. So they were like very into the rosary, the candles, all that. I was that deep involved. And then um, my mom was more Anglican, but just having that foundation and seeing your parents like pray and like, you know, really just trust and have faith that was instilled in me. So like, I felt like when I was going through something, I was like, okay, why don't I just do what my parents did and talk to God? And I would even journal it, write things down yeah. because that was my way of getting my thoughts out of my head. So I started writing little sticky notes and I would put them over, um, our bed post at night. And then I got my husband to do it with me because it says when two or more are in agreement, he's in the midst. I would like find different little scriptures that would help me with the situation that I was going through. And yeah, you know, that's kind of like my process. And I tell people like, have your own conversation with whoever yeah. you believe, like you were having a conversation with your friend, just get in that quiet place and just talk to them. And let it flow. Just saying today was a tough day. I believe once you have that connection, there's different ways that he speaks to you yeah. and he could speak through you. Um, versus like just exploding or letting your emotions or thoughts out with someone that you really don't trust. Yeah. Yeah. I think faith is such a powerful tool 
for navigating these challenging chapters and all the big life transitions and all the things that we go through. And what I have seen with faith is there are a lot of people who don't fully understand it. So they have faith when everything is going well. And they believe that because they're praying or they're going to church or they're doing the things that they should be doing to be a faithful person, that they're being rewarded. And that when things go wrong or there's challenges that they, they start to lose their faith. And I would love to hear what you would say to people who struggle with faith, because it sounds like you really maintained your sense of faith and you really utilized that relationship to God and to source to help you through it. And so what would you say to people that waver in their faith when things are hard? Don't waver. Um, just know that there's always a light at the end of the tunnel and it's always going to get dark before it gets bright. So whenever a storm is coming, like it always gets dark clouds. You always feel a shift in the atmosphere and stuff. But once that storm is over, you'll see a rainbow. You'll see like freshness. The grass is going to spring. The flowers are going to bloom. But had the storm not came through, would you have seen the grass get stronger, the earth get saturated, the flowers bloom? And another thing I would say is push like, pray until something happens. So even if you have to write the big old words down, like P-U-S-H, and then put under pray until something happens. So that's like your reminder. Okay, I'm going to keep pushing or think about it this way. When you're going through, I use this analogy sometimes, when you're going through the car wash, what do they tell you to put your car in? Neutral park. Yeah. Yeah, neutral. They tell you to put your car in neutral, <laughs> in neutral. And then as you're, as the machine is pulling your car forward, like your car is getting sprayed with water, you're getting sprayed with soap or wax, triple shine or whatnot. But that car has to take its course through the car wash in order for your car to get clean. But if you had your car on drive, like how can you honestly go through the drive-through at a certain speed because you're going to miss the certain elements that you need and that your car needs for refinement and that exterior cleaning. So sometimes we have to just let go and let God, you know, take take its course and we have to, you know, put ourselves in neutral until it comes time to where we need to hit drive. And once we change our gears from neutral to drive coming out of the car wash, we start to look in our rear view mirror. We look on the sides, the left and the right, and we see that our car is is shining clean. And you're like, oh, it feels like a new car. But it wouldn't feel like that if we didn't go through neutral. Yeah. So you have to think about it that way. And I use a car analogy because everyone drives, everyone has been through a car wash once once or twice or however many times. So I felt like you have to think about little things where in life we have to go through a waiting process. So sometimes God wants us to wait for a little bit until he blesses us. Because if he blesses us too soon, when we're unable to receive the blessing, are we going to know how to act once we receive what we've been at, what we've been asking and praying for? Yeah. And then another tip I would tell people is, you know, God, like he never leaves you, nor does he ever forsake you. So I always tell people, 
do you want to eat a sweet mango or do you want to eat a sour mango? Because I definitely want the sweet mango. And in order to have a sweet mango, it takes time for the mango to ripe. The mango has to go through certain transform transformations in order for us to fulfill the sweetness and the tastiness and the savory. But if we eat it before, before that time, it's not going to be satisfying. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> I've had some bad mango. <laughs> So take us back to your journey. So the witch of a boss left and you got someone new and you're able to build a different, better relationship with him. What happened next? So while him and I were building a better relationship, my ranking um, turned around because she wanted to drop my ranking from a B to a C. So he helped me ma maintain my ranking as a B because I was still fighting for that salary treatment. I wanted to be converted from the administrative bucket into the professional bucket, but it felt like it was another hoop that I had to jump through, even though I had my degree because, oh, let me back up. So whenever I started with the company, I came in as a psychology major. So I had two years within the psychology program and they pretty much told me my very first boss in 2013 said, Hey, what do you plan on doing with a psychology degree working for this company? And I was like, Oh, that's a good point. I didn't really think of it. And so I changed my whole entire degree plan to fit this company's mold. And once I did, I was like, okay, the company started paying tuition reimbursement. So that was good. So I was like, okay, they're investing me in me. So surely they're going to want a ROI return on investment. And once I got my degree, I was like, okay, I'm ready to move on. But it took so much trial and error. But the, what broke the camel's back was when that lady retired and she put my name in. So when I got her role, her role was deemed as a professional role. But when I moved into the role, they were paying me as an administrative assistant. Mm -hmm. So when I got the new boss, once the Wicked Witch of the West left, <laughs> and I got the male boss, I was like, okay, I want my salary to be increased because I was driving from one city to another. So I was spending an hour and a half one way to two hours, and then I had to commute that that home too. So I was like, okay, this is my mileage, wear and tear on my car gas and toll. So it was all adding up. So I felt like I was spending more money going to work than I was making. I'm like, this salary is not cutting it, especially for a person who has a four-year degree. So um, I ended up remaining in that role for 11 months. And I just told him like, Hey, I can't do this, you know, anymore. You're going to have to find me something back at headquarters because I cannot continue to lose time with my family, lose sleep and all of this because I'm really like losing money. So, um, and at that point, I actually thought about quitting because I pretty much told him, you're going to find me something or else. But of course, I, you know, cleaned it up and said it a little bit better. <laughs> <laughs> so then the, I felt like by me saying that he kind of got the drift, like, okay, she's really serious. So he helped me find a, find another role within the company. Once that role uh, was found, he's like, oh, okay, you have to interview for it. And I'm like, what? Why do I need to interview for a role with a company that I already work for? It should just be a transfer, just sign the papers right. or whatnot. So I felt like that was another hurdle and roadblock that I had to jump through. And the only thing that I could see was like, okay, maybe it's the color of my skin. Because all of the other people that had transfers, it was just wham, bam, sign the paper. Okay, you're going to start in this department on this day. 
And then they bring in the moving team, they move your stuff back to wherever you're going. And it wasn't like that for me. So I was grateful for everything that I learned in that role. It helped me better my relationships with external stakeholders as well as internally. Mm -hmm. And it taught me more about myself. And I was grateful that he came in with a new perspective and an open mindset to see me for who I was and willing to help me learn and grow and develop within the role. And that he listened, he listened. So I think that's a, that's a key part when you're in leadership, you have to really listen to those that are on your team. And you have to really think about promoting and excelling people on your team, because if you want people to learn and grow, you have to not only challenge them, but you have to be willing to let them go to new opportunities whenever you see that they fulfill certain things. And I feel like a lot of times leaders, um, they want you to do the work because it makes them look good. But whenever it's time for you to shine, they don't want to let you go because they may not find someone where they could, um, come in and fill the role just like you did. And I feel like that's not fair to you and it's not fair to them because they're holding you back and stunting your professional growth. Yeah. So I went to a new role, which is the role I'm in now. Been there for three years. Not really, I don't really like it because it's not my background. Like I am not an exports person, but I'm grateful to have a job. But I feel like just coming in this role, like I had a fight too, because when I got in the role, they were still paying me as an admin and the tide of the battle really changed after the whole George Floyd incident and the Black Lives Matter movement. And the reason why I say that is because after George, George Floyd died, the vice president of supply chain had called all the people who identified as Blacks or African American, um, in a group and pretty much asked us how we were doing and to share our experience. I was just quiet because at that point I was like, no ham, no cheese, no turkey. I'm done. Like I was just like mentally drained from the entire company from all the things that I endured. And he finally calls on me and he asked me, Hey, what do you think? Or what, what are some um, systemic issues that you went through? Have you endured racism or whatever? And I pretty much told him a high level, like, because there was, managers in the room that were, you know, identified as black. So there was two managers and two supervisors and then HR was there. And I kid you not, after I spoke up in that meeting, the next week, my salary increased by 20%. So you can only imagine for three years of doing this current role that I'm in, I was underpaid by 20% in comparison to my peers. So who knows how long I've been underpaid as a whole in the company. And I'm like, okay, so now I felt like they were just giving me the 20% increase as hush money. So like, okay, we're just checking the box. Like we're making things right in case someone were to come in and audit us on how we were treating our employees. And I felt like, yes, I'm grateful. Like I'm very grateful and thankful for a 20% increase. But why did you have to wait until I spoke up at the at the whole Black Lives Matter movement discussion and why now? And so when I told HR, cause they'll, they'll do like a check-in with you. I was like, you know what? I'm grateful for the salary, but I really felt like it only came because I spoke up after the whole Black Lives Matter. Like, oh no, we don't want you to think that. And I'm like, well, that's what it seems like because I could you right. not a week after that discussion, then bam, my salary increased. So maybe I need to start speaking up more and more frequently. Yeah. And that isn't in the book because it just recently happened. So <laughs> yes, tell us about your book. 
Okay, so the title of my book is kind of funny and controversial. So it's called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America, From the Pit to the Palace. And the biggest questions I get, or the most frequent questions I get lately are like, hey, why'd you call your book Chocolate Drop in Corporate America? And I said, you know, I consider myself chocolate and so many people identify like, oh, she's black or she's African-American or whatever. And I was like, you hear those terms, you know, thrown all all kinds of ways at you. And some people, you know, they get offended because they're like, oh, I'm not African-American. I'm not from Africa or whatever. Or I don't want to be black because I'm not black. I'm brown or whatever. So I was like, you know what? Like, like I'm Hershey's, I'm sweet like kisses, and I couldn't use Hershey Kiss because I don't want to be sued. So I was like, you know what? I'm Chocolate Drop, and I was like, and I work in corporate America. So I was like, oh, Chocolate Drop in corporate America. So it, yeah, so it fits perfectly. And then I said, from the pit to the palace, because had I not gone through that dark season, I wouldn't be walking out my my ways to the palace. And now I'm like. I'm more confident in who I am. Like I'm able to advocate for other people because I went through certain things. So it gives me more credibility to talk to you about things because I lived it, I breathed it. And like I have tips and tactics that can help someone else out. And I feel like there's power in sharing my testimony. And by sharing, like you're freeing yourself from like, so many emotions, but you're also helping someone else out. Yeah. Because I feel like we don't go through things in life for for no reason. We go through them for a reason and for a particular season. But if we never share what we endured, how is that helping someone else? Yeah. Yeah. I so the application process that we have, we ask very specific questions. Like we're screening very hardcore for this podcast because it's part research as well. And what I loved about you was that you filled out. So we asked, like, do you feel like the things you have been through have shaped your purpose in a specific way? And you've written this book, but that wasn't your answer. Your answer was yes. Like, I feel it was something along the lines of like knowing who you are and feeling really solid in that. And I loved that so much because yes, it influences our work. And I want to talk a little bit more about what's next for you in your role in a corporation, having had that conversation with H- with HR, but like you, you went and you wrote this book, but it's also influenced who you are and how you carry yourself in the world. And I would love if you could share a little bit more about that. Okay. So I have this um, thing I love to share. It's called my three R's and they are refuel, refocus, and realign. So you have to refuel yourself um, so you're not going through the period of burnout. And so what refueling looks like, I'm going to give two analogies. So when you're on the aircraft and they go over the safety talk, they said, put on your mask before you put on someone else's mask. And then another analogy is you have to continue to put gas in your car in order for your car to run. So if we're not taking care of ourselves, how can we honestly take care of other people or be a valuable contributor to society. So you have to recognize when you need to practice self-care, you have to recognize when you have to say no. And no is not just negative. Like no could be a new opening or next opportunity, or you just don't wanna do it. And you don't need to explain why you said no. You could just say no and let your no be no. 
and you have to take time for yourself because so many times like we as women we're 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 mothers we're wives we're sisters we're aunts we're so giving and that's our nature okay we're we're gonna do this for the kids we have to take the kids to their activities okay i need to be a wife to my husband i need to cook i need to clean i need to make sure the house and everything's in order oh it's my sister's birthday oh i gotta do i gotta go you know get my nails done with my sister or i gotta schedule a massage or i have to do this and we're so busy pouring into every and every everyone and anything in our lives that whenever it comes time for us and when it comes time for stephanie and genesis we're so worn out because we're so depleted that we don't have time to practice time for ourselves or we don't even know what that looks like because we're so busy giving to others that we can't even fill ourselves up so it's so important that you refuel yourself the second part is refocus so refocus on who you want to be because so many times in life i got i get so sick of hearing hey what do you want to be when you grow up but <laughs> what is like defining you and it's also a form of confinement people never stop and ask who do you want to be when you grow up and i feel like the who is more important because the who is a part of your morals your values yeah. your characteristics how you treat people, like how you're seen, like how do others see you? How do I see myself? Versus, okay, what? Oh, I'm just a lawyer. I'm just a doctor. You aren't just anything. Like you are more than a doctor. You're more than a lawyer. And you shouldn't let that keep you, you know, in a bubble. And then the realignment, you have to recalibrate yourself. So analogy is when you're driving your vehicle, you want to make sure your tires are aligned so your car doesn't pull to the left or to the right. Without having your car aligned, you're going to be dragging to the left or to the right. But when your car is in alignment, your car is going to run better. Your car is not going to pull from the left to the right. It's not going to sway. Your tires are going to last longer and et cetera. So just like we take care of our vehicles to help get us from point A to point B, we need to take care of our temple. Our temple is our body. We have to make sure we're eating right. We need to make sure we're exercising. We need to make sure we're practicing mindfulness, whether that's meditation or whether that's just shutting off your brain and spending time for, with yourself and by yourself because we need that sometimes. We need to rejuvenate ourselves. So I think those are very important in defining who you are and what your purpose is. Yeah. And when people ask, okay, what's your purpose? So your purpose is birthed from your passion. Your passion is something that you can do nine to five and not get paid for it, but you're going to do it because you absolutely love it. And when you're passionate about something, opportunities will come because you're killing it in the game, meaning you are doing the best and being the best because it's something you absolutely love and someone's not going to force you to do, do something. But whenever it becomes forced, it's, it's no longer your passion. And your passion is birthing your purpose. So I tell people, you have to ignite your passion, walk out your purpose, and run into your destiny and calling for your life. And when you can't do that, you honestly can't say that you are being your whole self. You can't say, I'm fully Stephanie or I'm fully Genesis because you're not being authentic. And people could sense a fake from a mile away. So it's like, 
okay, purses. Like women love purses. And to me, I'm like, okay, a purse is cool, but I want to have the money to put inside the purse, not just have the label. So people love these Louis Vuitton bags, love Gucci and Fendi. But what's the point of rocking a Louis bag if you don't have enough money to put in your bag or your or what's the point of having a Stingray Corvette, but you're living in an apartment complex? Something that you're not going to own, something that, sure, okay, I don't have to worry about maintenance, like, you know, HOAs or whatnot, but you, you have to worry about the noise of your neighbors or, okay, am I walking too heavy or am I being too loud or whatever? You have to worry about that. So get your priorities in line. Yeah. Absolutely. I love that you said Stingray. I had a 1975 Stingray Corvette when I was in college. It was falling apart, but I oh, loved wow. it. <laughs> um, to kind of bring everything to a close, tell us what's next for you. So you had this conversation recently with HR. Are you, is your plan to be more outspoken and vocal? What's next for you in your work and your career as well? Well, as far as work goes, my job recently announced that they are cutting 1900 jobs so i won't know if i'm gonna have a job um I, I won't find that out until uh the first week of december so what i am doing is proactively out there looking for work and then i'm also working on branding myself so continuing my book journey my goal is to be on 29 podcasts before the end of the year and I picked 29 because I turned 29 in August. So I felt like that was symbolic to me. And I just hit 28 yesterday. So <laughs> I'm almost there, but I'm going to keep on going. That's so <laughs> exciting. Another thing I want to do is I want to take my book, Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. I want to take it worldwide because I feel like more people are dealing with systemic racism as well as systemic issues. And we really need to talk about what inclusion and diversity looks like and what it feels like. It's not just for the company to hire some Hispanics, some Latinos, mm -hmm. some Latinas, Asians, or African Americans to check a box to say they are inclusive and diverse, but it's actually about how do you develop those individuals that don't look like the rest of the crop, that aren't blonde hair, blue eyes, or brunettes, or whatever. How do you develop those minorities and use them to their best assets, but also make sure that you all are complementing them? Okay, if you are not being inclusive and diverse, what can you do to change that? Are you implementing the right policies and procedures to help management see those people for who they are and not just for how they look? And I definitely feel like we need to have more candid conversations on inclusion and diversity, not just wait until a life-changing incident happens in society like George Floyd or Breonna Taylor or whatever to say, oh my gosh, like we need to do something. No. Do something when you have the ability to do it and do it because it's the right thing to do, not because yeah. you need to do it to save face. So I want to take this book into corporations and really educate and train on inclusion and diversity, as well as equality and equity, because those two E-squares is what I call it. Those two are very important. I want to go into the school systems too, because I feel like we have to get the younger people and teach them while they're young, because if not, they're going to grow up to into adults and not really know, okay, how do I treat someone that doesn't look like me? And whenever I jump started talking about the 
school system, I felt so strongly about it because I was bullied in high school and I did go through depression and oppression. And then having nieces and nephews who are biracial, two of them are half Caucasian, two of them are half Indian. And one of them that is half Indian said that a Caucasian little boy at school said, oh, I can't talk to you because my mommy and daddy don't like brown people at oh, seven years old. And I'm like, if we're, if a child is hearing that at seven years old, who knows how, what they're going to be like when they're an adult, because that garbage and toxicity is constantly being poured into them. So in the school system, we need to help children know it's okay to embrace different cultures it's okay to embrace differences because whenever we come together we are united like we're better when we come together and if we never expose children to things outside of their normal yeah. activities how are they going to help us improve as society because we're here right now but we're just passing through it's about those who are coming besides and behind us because we have new technologies we have these kids who are growing up with technology in their hands and all types of way but if they never like really embrace one another or or say, oh, you know what? That guy is really good in his field. Maybe I should build a partnership with him and create an extraordinary experience. But if they don't think about it that way, then we're really stunting the growth. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. That's that's so important. I'm I'm so happy to hear that. I feel like there's so much that can be done with adults and in and higher education and, and corporations and all these societal systems, but getting kids while their subconscious is wide open to all of these ideas and beliefs, I think is so incredibly important. So I love that you're doing that. Um, we're going to link to all of your amazingness in the show notes, but please tell everyone where they can find you, where they can get your book and how they can learn from you. Awesome. So I am on Facebook as Genesis, G-E-N-E-S-I-S. Amaris, A-M-A-R-I-S, last name Kemp, K-E-M-P. I have a author page as well. It's called Chocolate Drop in Corporate America. Uh, you guys can reach me via email. And yes, it's me. <laughs> I don't have a sister or anything. So it's genesisamariskemp at gmail.com. I do have an Instagram. It's under my other brand, which is at Lady D, D as in Deborah. Richardson. And then my book is available on Amazon. So paperback, y'all, it looks like this for $13. So the price of a Chick-fil-A meal for two or less. The Kindle version is $2.99. So very affordable. And don't be discouraged to buy the title because on the book, you can actually see people from all different careers and um, different nationalities because inclusion and diversity starts with all of us coming together to make this world and society a better place. So united we stand and divided we fall. It has been a pleasure. <laughs> yes, Genesis, thank you so much for being here and for sharing your story and all of your wisdom. 
Thank you so much for joining us today and for being a part of this powerful community of purpose-driven individuals. We have a ton of free resources for you at www.talesfromthejourney.tv slash free, including access to an eight-week sampler of our renowned journey mapping program. That gives you instant access to impactful training lessons, life-changing exercises, and our signature AccuSesh processes that you can implement immediately. We'd love your help in getting the message out and growing our community, so please take a moment to share this episode, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a review on iTunes. I'll catch you in the next episode.